Hello, my friends. This is Nikki. Today we'll be reading from Maria Valtorta's The Poem of the Man-God, Volume 1. And we'll be learning about when Joseph and Mary hear about the census edict. Joseph is very worried about this. And when Mary comes into the room, he's sitting him, and she sees him. She says, Is there anything worrying you? Can I help you? And Joseph says, You always comfort me, Mary, but this time I have a big problem that concerns you. Me, Joseph? And what is it? They have posted an edict on the synagogue door. It orders the census of all Palestinians, and everybody must go and register in his place of origin. We must go to Bethlehem. Oh! exclaims Mary, interrupting him, and putting one hand on her bosom. It's a shock, isn't it? And a sad one, I know, says Joseph. No, Joseph, says Mary, that's not it. I am thinking, I am thinking of the Holy Scriptures. Rachel, Benjamin's mother, and Jacob's wife, of whom the star will be born, the Savior. Rachel buried in Bethlehem, of which it is said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, the least of the clans of Judah, out of you will be born the ruler. The ruler who was promised to the house of David, he will be born there. And Joseph says, Do you do you think it is already the time, or oh, what shall we do? He is completely dismayed. He looks at Mary with two pitiful eyes. She realizes this, and she smiles. But she smiles more at herself than at him. A smile that seems to say, He is a man, a just man, but a man. And he sees as a man. He thinks as a man. Have pity on him, O soul of mine, and guide him so that he may see as a spirit. But her kindness induces her to reassure him. She is not untruthful. She simply diverts his anxiety. I do not know, Joseph. My time is very close. But could the Lord not delay it to relieve you from this worry? He can do everything. Do not fear. But the journey, says Joseph, think of the crowds. Will we find good lodgings? Will we be in time to come back? And if, and if you are to become a mother there, what will we do? We have no home there. We do not know anybody any longer. Don't be afraid, says Mary. Everything will be all right. God finds a shelter for the animal about to give birth. Do you think he will not find one for his Messiah? We trust in him, don't we? We always trust in him. The harder the trial, the more we trust. Like two children, we put our hands in his fatherly ones. He is our guide. We rely entirely on him. Consider how he has led us with love so far. A father, even the best of fathers, could not do it with greater care. We are his children and his servants. We fulfill his will. No harm can befall us. Also this edict is his will. What is Caesar, after all, an instrument in the hands of God? Since the time when the Father decided to forgive man, he prearranged the events so that his Christ may be born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, the smallest town in Judah, did not yet exist, and its glory was already destined, and there a powerful man has risen, very far from here. And he conquered us, and now he wants to know all his subjects, now, while the world is in peace, 
so that the glory of Bethlehem may be accomplished and the word of God may not be belied, as it would be if the Messiah were to be born elsewhere. Oh, what is our small trouble if we consider the beauty of this moment of peace? Just think, Joseph, a period of time when there is no hatred in the world. Can there be a happier hour for the rising of the star, the light of which is divine and its influence is redemption? Oh, do not be afraid, Joseph. If the roads are not safe, if the crowds will make the journey a difficult one, the angels will defend and protect us, not us, but their king. If we find no accommodation, their wings will be our tents. No mishap will befall us. It cannot. God is with us. Joseph looks at her and listens to her, happy. The wrinkles on his forehead smooth away. He gets up, no longer tired or worried. He smiles. You are blessed, son of my soul. You are blessed because you see everything through the grace of which you are full. Don't let us waste time then, because we must leave as soon as possible and come back as soon as possible, because everything is ready here for the, for the, for our son Joseph, Mary says. He must be such in the eyes of the world. Remember that. The Father has covered his coming with the veil of mystery, and we must not lift that veil. Jesus will do it when the time comes. The beauty of Mary's face, look, expression and voice when she says Jesus cannot be described. It is already an ecstasy, and the vision ends on it. Now Mary speaks to us, and she says, I will not add much more, because my words are already a lesson. But I wish to draw the attention of wives to one point. Too many marriages break up through the fault of women who do not possess that love which is everything, kindness, pity, and solace to their husbands. The physical suffering that lies heavy on women does not lie heavily on men, but all the moral worries do, necessities of work, decisions to be taken, responsibilities before the established authorities, and one's own family. Oh, how many things weigh on man, and how much comfort he also needs, and yet a woman's selfishness is such that she adds the weight of a useless and sometimes unfair complaints to the burden of her tired, disheartened, worried husband. And all this because she is selfish. She does not love. Love is not the satisfaction of one's senses and utility. To love is to satisfy him whom we love beyond senses and utility, giving him the help he needs so that he may always be able to keep his wings open in the skies of hope and peace. There is another point to which I wish to draw your attention. I have already spoken of it, but I wish to insist. Trust in God. Trust summarizes the theological virtues. Who trusts has faith. Who trusts hopes. Who trusts loves. When we love, we hope. We believe in a person. We trust. Otherwise, we do not. God deserves our trust. If we trust poor men who may fail, why should we not trust God who can never fail? Trust is also humility. The proud man says, I will do it by myself. I do not trust him because he is an incapable man, a liar, an overbearing fellow. The humble man says, I trust him. Why should I not? 
Why should I think that I am better than he is? And more rightly, he says of God, Why should I mistrust him who is so good? Why should I think that I can do it by myself? God gives himself to the humble, but withdraws from the proud. Trust is also obedience, and God loves the obedient man. Obedience implies that we acknowledge ourselves as his children, and we acknowledge God as our Father. And a father can but love when he is a real father. God is our real father, and a perfect father. The third point I want you to consider, it is always based on trust. No event can happen unless God allows it. Are you powerful? You became so because God permitted it. Are you a subject? You are such because God permitted it. Endeavor therefore, powerful one, not to turn your power to your own detriment. It would always be your detriment, even if at the beginning it may appear detrimental to others. Because if God allows, he does not over-allow. And if you go beyond the mark, he will strike you and crush you. Endeavor therefore, O subject, to make of your condition a magnet that will draw the protection of heaven upon you, and never curse anyone. Leave that to God's care. It is for him, the Lord of all, to bless and curse his creatures.